Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast, where we like to drink beer, watch football, and talk all things NFL and college football. Be sure to subscribe and follow on Instagram and Twitter at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and on today's episode, we have a special guest joining us, Will Raggetts, Minnesota Vikings writer for Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter, at Will Raggetts. Really excited to talk Vikings football with him today, and joining me to do so, my co-host, Chad Smith. What is up, Chad? Hey, Brad. Great to be on again. PGF Nation, this is going to be exciting. We're going to get to talk a little NFC North, talk Minnesota Vikings, Mike Zimmer, Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, all this with Will Will, we greatly appreciate you coming on being a part of this podcast, and I'm going to open things up. To me, when you look at the Vikings coming off the wild card win last year against the Saints, they're building momentum. I think one of the biggest elements in the room right now, one of the things that I think obviously needs to be addressed and be handled, and arguably probably their most important player is running back Dalvin Cook and his contract, essentially contract slash holdout. So get us up to speed on what you think you see happening in the next couple of weeks. Where do you see the Vikings positioning themselves on this? I know they've said, hey, we don't think you're CMC, Ezekiel Elliott, top money, but he's clearly arguably one of the best running backs, and Minnesota is a run-first team. Talk about Dalvin Cook, talk about the contract situation, and see what you think plays out. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. You're absolutely right that this Dalvin Cook situation is one of the most important things that the Vikings need to address before the season starts and before they even really ramp up into, into full contact stuff in, in training camp here. And it, it's been uh, really a, a fascinating situation when Cook at first announced back in early June, I believe, that he would not be reporting to any Vikings team activities until he got what he considered to be a reasonable offer on a contract extension. Of course, he's going into the last year of his rookie deal, and, and he wants to be paid like a top five running back, which he proved that he is when, when healthy last year. So some time went on, and then it was announced that, that Cook would be reporting to camp because basically he didn't have any other option uh, with the, the way the new CBA effectively prevents holdouts. So Cook reported, and he's been there for, for the walkthroughs and the strength and conditioning stuff that they've done early on in camp, but he still doesn't have that new deal. And there's been talks that the, the two sides are, are getting closer, but they still might have a little bit of a gap to bridge because early on it was reported that, that Cook wanted something like 13 million a year. Obviously not the not quite the 15 million that Ezekiel Elliott got or 16 that Christian McCaffrey got, but he wanted to be close to those guys and up there with with like the David Johnson and the Le'Veon Bells of the world. Meanwhile, the Vikings were were reportedly offering more like 8 million a year, which is more like what Melvin Gordon got this offseason. So there's that's that's a big gap there and even if they've started to come a little bit closer. And, and Rick Spielman, the Vikings GM, has talked a lot about how he, he really values what Dalvin Cook brings to their team and what, what he does as a leader and his impact on the community. And like you said, they're, they're a run-first team, so they, they need him. But there's also the question about really how valuable are running backs even on a run-heavy team. Could the Vikings get similar production out of Alexander Madison, their backup who was impressive last year as a rookie? So the, the Vikings have a, have a history of getting extensions done uh, right before training camp or during training camp. I still expect that to happen, although I don't think it's a sure thing. And it would be very interesting to see how, how Dalvin Cook would handle going into the season if he doesn't get that new deal. 
And you're right on the New Deal, Will, and thank you for that information. And you talked about Alexander Madison. He's a great backup, and I think he could arguably fill the void there if Dalvin Cook were to exit out. Is there any buzz about him playing week one to fulfill the contract for this year and then stepping away with contract potentially not in place? And then that be a huge void at running back. Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything along those lines. I, I don't know the exact language of the CBA, but I think he can't really do what, what some people call a hold in, where he's reporting to training camp and going through all the motions, but not really fulfilling all of his the duties of his contract and not really going out there and, and continuing that into the season as well. I don't think that'll happen. I, I think he either gets the new deal and, and is happy and has, has locked up for, for years to come, or... He has to play on the the last year of his rookie contract, and maybe that damages the the goodwill and the relationship between the two sides a little bit. And then he looks to to get out in free agency next year. So, will midway through the off season, the Vikings traded away star wide receiver Stephon Diggs to the Bills after he expressed his frustrations with the team over the last couple of seasons. The Vikings did receive multiple draft picks for Diggs. So, what did you make of this move? And can Minnesota fill the void that is left by Stephon Diggs in the passing game this year? Yeah, it was it was obviously one of the biggest moments of the offseason for the Vikings. Uh, kind of came as a surprise, uh, although Diggs had been doing a lot of uh, cryptic tweets in, in the, the months leading up to, to the trade in March. And, and there was the whole situation last October where he uh, w- was clearly frustrated. He had a couple uh, little outbursts on the sidelines and then didn't show up to practice for a couple days, was fined $200,000, came back, held a a very bizarre press conference where he said there's truth to all rumors. And that, that situation kind of died out a little bit as he uh, got back out there and had a career year and, and was uh, catching a lot of long touchdowns from Kirk Cousins and was a big part of, of their, their two games in the playoffs. But it resurfaced this offseason, and clearly Diggs made it known that he wanted a fresh start somewhere. He used Twitter to kind of facilitate the trade happening. So I think in the end, it worked out well for both sides. Diggs got what he wants, which was a new start. I don't know if he necessarily would have chosen the Buffalo Bills if he was choosing from a, a list of preferred destinations, but seems like he's he's excited to be there, and I think he'll, he'll do a lot for the growth of, uh, of Josh Allen out there. But the Vikings got a lot in return, too. They, they got a first-round pick, several mid-round picks, and they turned that, that first-round pick into LSU receiver Justin Jefferson, who will now sort of be linked with Diggs' name, for better or, or worse. But he's a very, very talented prospect. Had a huge year last year at LSU. I don't think, and I've said this all offseason, I don't think Diggs, or, or I don't think Jefferson can be what Diggs was last year. I mean, that's a, a very tough thing to ask. I think Diggs is one of the arguably top 10 receivers in the league, a, a great route runner, great hands. And Jefferson has the the potential to get to that level, but he's still got a lot of work to do. He's got to work on his releases against press coverage. We have to kind of learn if he's purely a slot guy or if he's going to be able to play on the outside as well. So, yeah, I think Jefferson will be good as a rookie, but it's going to take some time for him to get up to the level that Diggs showed last year. Obviously, COVID is here. COVID is going to be a part of this year, whether we like it or not. There's obviously a whole lot of buzz right now in the college football world. I do believe 
the NFL, though, is kind of going steady as she goes and trying to just weather this storm. You got baseball going. You got basketball going. Brad and I were talking earlier. I just don't see NFL having, unless it's just something catastrophic, really derail the season. With the COVID opt-out, the only player that opted out for Minnesota was Michael Pierce, defensive tackle. He was going to place Linval Joseph at nose tackle. And so talk about the fact that the Vikings only had one player opt out. I mean, we had Kim Jones on a couple podcasts back and she was like, guys, it's less than one player per team right now, minus the Pats who had six or seven opt out. But talk about COVID. Talk about what the Vikings are doing on a day-to-day basis, the precautions every team's probably trying to take and the impact you think COVID may or may not have this year on NFL. Well, yeah, first of all, I mean, I I agree with you. I I think it would take something really catastrophic and like a widespread outbreak for the NFL season not to continue just because it is such a profit machine for the league. And knowing what we know about the NFL, they're going to, they're going to power through this uh, even if some, some things come up, which the MLB has done as well with the, with a couple teams having some outbreaks. But as for the, as far as the Vikings, they, they have done a lot with their precautions and their protocols uh, at their, their new facility uh, that they moved into a couple of years ago. They've really kind of, gone above and beyond some of those protocols they had they have all the the signage up they're really enforcing the masks and and the social distancing and all types of things like that cleaning up sanitizing stations after after lifts and they're they're being very very thorough with their precautions ironically the guy who's leading that effort their head athletic trainer who's also now their their infection control officer eric sugarman actually tested positive for covid19 which kind of tells you that despite doing everything right anyone can still get it but what the Vikings are able to do with the contact tracing and all that stuff is keep a tally of, of who anyone has been near so that they can prevent uh, any widespread outbreaks. And Sugarman wasn't in contact with any players. The Vikings have had a lot of players added to the, the COVID-19 reserve list. I believe they had, have had nine players who spent time in there, three of which were on there for over 10 days, which suggests potentially testing positive. And, and just recently uh, came out that Linebacker Cameron Smith, who was a fifth-round guy they drafted in 2019, tested positive for the coronavirus. And then upon further testing, they discovered a heart defect that he had. So he's having open heart surgery and is going to miss the year. So that was kind of a, a scary situation, but wishing him the best. And, and as for as far as Pierce, I mean, he was a really like the definition of, of a high-risk guy in, in that category. So it made perfect sense for him to opt out. It was just he has serious asthma. His brother, his father have asthma. He had kind of a scary situation with pneumonia a couple of years ago when he was on the Ravens that caused him to miss a game. Also just a really big guy at 340, 350 pounds, which uh, we know is, is somewhat of an added risk, especially with him having the respiratory issues. That'll be a big loss for the Vikings, though. Like you mentioned, they, they brought him. That was their one big free agent signing this offseason was bringing in Pierce to replace Linval Joseph, who's now with the Chargers. Uh, so they have some depth there that they that they can work in, but that was a big blow for the team's run defense for sure. I wanted to shift to the secondary, Will, and one of the biggest question marks for the Vikings going into this season is the cornerbacks. And after having one of the best corner groups in the NFL the past few years, the Vikings have moved on from Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, and Xavier Rhodes. Players like Mike Hughes and rookies Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler will need to step up this year. Do you expect a big drop-off from this unit with all the changes they've made? Well, the crazy thing about the Vikings cornerback situation is people see 
the big names that left you, you Xavier Rhodes is now with the Colts and he was one of the really the best shutdown corners in the league a couple of years ago. Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander moved on. They're now with, with the Bengals. Um, those guys are both relatively high draft picks. Waynes was a was a top 15 pick. But what you might not know unless you watched all of the Vikings games last year is that they weren't very good last year. Mackenzie Alexander was, was pretty solid at, at nickel corner. He was the best of the three. But Waynes and Rhodes on the outside were really, they looked like shells of their former selves, uh, especially Rhodes. He had a, a steep, steep decline from his performance in, in 2016 and 2017, which, which started in 2018 and got even worse last year. He was one of the, the lowest graded corners in the league in terms of PFF grade and passer rating allowed and all of those things. And it just, it just looked like he really lost his step and was committing penalties and things like that. He just seemed kind of flustered all year. He kept saying that he was going to, he was working to, to figure it out. And it just, that, that breakthrough of getting back to his, his old self never really happened. So as as wild as it might sound when you lose three starting corners, the Vikings actually could be better uh, at the cornerback position this year. You've got Mike Hughes, who you mentioned was their 2018 first round pick. He's dealt with some some injury issues, but if he's healthy and he's out there, I mean, I, I think he could be better than, than Rhodes and Waynes were last year. He's got a lot of potential. They drafted Jeff Gladney out of TCU in the first round, who was a, a five-year guy at TCU. So he's already on the older side for rookies, which could help him uh, become a starter right away. Historically, Vikings don't have a, a lot of rookie uh, rookies start at corner under Mike Zimmer, but I think Gladney could be an exception, both based on the lack of depth there and, and the fact that he's older and had a lot of experience in the Big 12. And then you've got an assortment of other guys who, who are looking to prove themselves. Holden Hill from Texas was an undrafted free agent a couple of years ago. He's played well at times. Uh, you got Cameron Dantzler, who was a third-round pick this year uh, in it was a really, really interesting prospect, dominated in the SEC, great uh, great uh, passer rating numbers and things like that. Uh, just a little bit slow based on his 40 time, which which caused him to drop to the, the third round. So they, they like what they have with that young group. And, of course, it, it helps a lot with, with young corners to have the best safety duo in the NFL with Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris back there, kind of making their jobs easier a little bit. It's going to take me a minute to build this one out because my head's been spinning on this one. And you talked about the Diggs trade and Brad's question earlier. You talked about Justin Jefferson maybe being a slot guy. Brad and I in our mock draft had the Minnesota Vikings going wide receiver and cornerback. And then during our draft episode grades and our follow-up grades, we gave the Vikings an A+. We just said they were one of the top two or three or four teams that nailed this draft. But in looking at what the Vikings are going to have this year, talking about how to replace the Diggs, and you mentioned Justin Jefferson being in the slot some, maybe he might get on the outside as well. And you look at that entire roster of wide receivers, if Jefferson is going to play in the slot some, who do you see being on the outside? And then as it relates to Adam Thielen, He's clearly a wide receiver one, kind of using a little bit of fantasy buzz here. He's a solid, solid wide receiver, PPR monster. But can you see Thielen taking the pressure of being the go-to guy now instead of having Diggs on the other side, having a rookie coming along like Jefferson and the rest of this receiving core, which really doesn't have a big name, can you see them having a lot of two and three wide receiver sets? Or do you see them running the football even more based on the personnel they may have on offense? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the, the big thing with, with Thielen is he, he missed some time last year with the hamstring injuries, the first time in his career that he had been injured. So I think people are forgetting about him a little bit based on that. I, I mean, I've seen a lot of top 10 receiver lists and stuff this offseason, and no one's including Thielen, despite 
Uh, his numbers in 2017 and 2018, he was a top five receiver in, in receptions and yards across those two seasons and was really playing like one of the best in the league. Yeah, he's he's 30 now, but I think having a lot of time off and he's been he's been training hard. I think he's going to be able to go out there and kind of remind people of just how good he is. because He's a guy who can do everything you ask out of a receiver on the field. He's a great route runner, can go up and get the ball, sure hands. Uh, the question is, can he be, become a little bit more of a deep threat now? We saw uh, late in that, that Viking Saints playoff game, the, the key play in overtime was, was Cousins finding Thielen on a go ball to get them down inside the five, and then Kyle Rudolph catches the touchdown to win it. So that'll be something to look for. Which one of Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen uh, becomes more of a deep threat to replace what, what Diggs gave them in that area? But I, I do think it'll be a really, a really good top two. Jefferson's gonna gonna take him some time to get fully acclimated the playbook and everything like that. But having a guy like Thielen there as his mentor is gonna be really good for him. It, they'll be pretty much interchangeable, I think, with the way the Vikings use them. I would expect Jefferson to be on the in the slot a little bit more with Thielen on the outside a little bit more. But the Vikings frequently only have two receivers out there. They they are one of the the teams that uses three receivers the fewest in the league because they do like to use multiple tight ends. They've got a great tight end duo with Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. And then they like to run the football. They ran it at almost a 50% rate last year with second or third highest in the league, I believe. So they're going to continue to run the ball. People see that they the Vikings changed offensive coordinators. They went from Kevin Stefanski last year, who's now the, the Browns head coach, to Gary Kubiak. But that's not going to be a material change in the offense because Kubiak was there last year. They are running Kubiak's offense. It was basically just Stefanski calling the plays. So that'll switch to Kubiak now. But I expect there to be a lot of, of similarities with what you see from the Vikings offense this year and, and what you saw last year. The interesting thing will be who will be that that number three receiver when the Vikings do have three receivers out there, which obviously you need to do at times on third downs and, and whatever the case may be, two-minute offense. Uh, and they signed Tajay Sharp this year, who was a guy who had some success uh, with the Titans, kind of up and down. And then BC Johnson was a seventh-round pick last year out of Colorado State that, that really stepped up when Thielen got hurt and had a, had a pretty strong rookie year. So I think it's mainly between those two guys for that number three spot. But the Vikings offense with, with, with Kirk Cousins going into the third year here and, and some continuity on offense, it's kind of ahead of where the defense is right now, which is something you don't usually say about a, a Mike Zimmer team. So we talked about some of the changes in the secondary, Will, and the Vikings were forced to make some really difficult decisions regarding player personnel due to their cap situation. And the defense saw the biggest turnover, losing many key players for a defense that was one of the best in the NFL last year. Now, they do return some high-level players in Anthony Barr, Eric Kendrick, and Harrison Smith, to name a few. But will they emerge as a top-rated defense again this season? Yeah, I think you can never really doubt Mike Zimmer when it comes to talking about the, the best defenses in the league. This is going to be a tougher task for him. The The Vikings were able to, for many years during Zimmer's tenure, he got here in 2014, they were able to really build a, a core on defense and keep that core together for for a, a number of years. Now they, they're shaking it up. There's no Everson Griffin. There's no Linval Joseph. The corners are, are going to be different. But they still have the, those fundamental key pieces at, at all three levels of the defense. On the defensive line, you've got Daniil Hunter, who is one of the best pass rushers in the league, still only 25 years old. He was the quickest player ever to reach 50 sacks in NFL history. And then you've got Eric Hendricks and Anthony Barr, a great linebacker duo. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the top safety duo in the league. So there's, there's stuff to work with. There's young talent here. 
that Zimmer will be looking to, to mold. Uh, Afadio Denebo is a name to know as Griffin's replacement at the other defensive end spot. He had seven sacks last year in, in, a, in a rotational role. So I think you can expect maybe this defense to have some ups and downs early in the season. Uh, they also they have a tough schedule. They face a lot of the top quarterbacks. Obviously, you've got Aaron Rodgers twice, but they've got Deshaun Watson and Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and uh, a lot of really good uh, opposing QBs. So I, they, there could be some ups and downs with this defense, but I think when, when all is said and done, you're going to find them in the top half of the league at the very least in points allowed and yards allowed and, and probably in the top 10 again. It may, maybe not a top five defense like, like Zimmer's had uh, in the past, but I think this will still be a strong unit because of those, those stars at all three levels and some exciting young talent. No question that Zimmer's in kind of a defensive guru, so they, they will make that work in Minnesota. They always have, and I don't think this year will be any different, but that was great information. Thinking about the Minnesota Vikings, clearly they made the splash when they signed Kirk Cousins to the three-year deal. He's had two years now in Minnesota. I felt great for the guy getting that monkey off his back on getting the playoff win and to go into New Orleans and do it. And you you mentioned that play with Thielen. That was a phenomenal play. I think that was probably one of the greatest throws Kirk Cousins has made in his entire career, not just with Minnesota, but also his time in Washington. But it goes back to the run, Will. It goes back to they set up that run. And if you break it down, you look at those hardcore statistics, Kirk Cousins is a completely different quarterback when it's a play action throw versus just straight out of the pocket. He's a great quarterback. I just don't know if he's elite. They just signed him to this two-year, $66 million extension. So they're essentially kind of all in on Kirk Cousins. But if things don't really get to the next level with him, they say, okay, by 2022, we want to part. It's a $45 million cap hit in 2022. So take into account all that. Take into account where Kirk Cousins has been in his career with Minnesota, the the get-over-the-hump playoff win for himself and for the Vikings, and just what he means to this team. I know he's a phenomenal person within the community, but can he be that type of guy that says, okay, we're going to just we're going to make everything work this year and get us back to maybe the NFC Championship? Well, that's that's the number one question when it comes to the Vikings, right? I mean. They, they've, like you said, they've gone kind of all in on Kirk Cousins. It wasn't, it wasn't a, a super long extension in terms of the number of years. So they'll be able to reevaluate this in a couple years, and, and you, you do see that that forty-five million cap hit is huge. But so if the, the way the salary cap continues increasing every year, that actually might not be that big of a number by by twenty twenty-two. Uh, and if Cousins continues to play well. We could see another extension that continues to kind of backload some of the money for, for salary cap purposes. But yeah, that's the question. Can Kirk Cousins be the guy that gets the Vikings their, their first ever Super Bowl victory? That's the only thing that, that matters in the NFL. And the Vikings clearly think that he can if they surround him with the right pieces. Kirk, Kirk Cousins had the best year of his career last year by, by a pretty solid margin because they, they finally put him in a system and he was finally put in a system that maximized his strengths. I mean, when going back to his days in Washington and his first year with the Vikings, he was throwing the ball a lot. He was dropping back a bunch of times. He had a, almost a 5,000 yard season in Washington. He had a huge season with the Vikings in 2018, his first year, just from a, a raw numbers perspective, but that's not when Kirk Cousins is at his most effective. Like you, like you mentioned, he, he's at his best when, He's not a, I don't want to use the term game manager, but when he's running an offense that is going to run the football a lot and is going to allow him to get into play action because he, 
uh, you mentioned it. He is incredibly good in those play action scenarios. Last year, we saw a ton of times he would, he rolls rolls out to the left or, or does a bootleg or something where they get him in space and, and they kind of give him a little bit more time to let those routes develop downfield. And when that happens, he's got one of the best deep balls in the league in terms of accuracy. He can make really every throw. It's just a question of at times he, he's a little timid, a, a little quick to, to go to the check down instead of trying to maybe throw it up there and let his guy make a play. And I think that might have that frustrated Adam Thielen at times last year. And I think that frustrated Stephon Diggs at times. He, I agree with, with your overall assessment that, that Kirk Cousins is, is very good. He changed some of the narratives last year, which were, were undeserved in terms of people saying, oh, he can never win a big game or anything like that. And a lot of people just, just love to, to hate on Kirk Cousins and disrespect him. But so he, he changed that narrative by winning some big games. He beat, beat the Cowboys on Sunday night. He, he won that playoff game, which was huge. But I still don't think he's in that tier of quarterbacks that can elevate uh, your, your entire offense to kind of win a game by themselves. And w- what I think separates that is their ability, like the, the Mahomes and the Watsons and the Russell Wilsons and Aaron Rodgers, they, their ability to when the play breaks down and things go off script and they got to get out of the pocket, they can make something happen. And Kirk Cousins just doesn't really have that. And, and we saw in, in the 49ers game that ended their season when, when the running game wasn't working and the pass rush was getting to him, he couldn't really improvise and come up with, with something else. And that loss wasn't entirely on him by any means. The offensive line was bad. There were various other factors there. But he's not going to be that guy who can get outside of the pocket, make a play with his legs, or extend a play and, and throw, make some miraculous throw on the run. I think his ceiling is capped a little bit athletically. He's said this offseason he would like to do some more, more scrambling and things like that. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting to see how he plays this year without digs and what his long-term future looks like in Minnesota. Yeah, well, I completely agree with you. I think your assessment of Kirk Cousins was totally spot on. And I do think that he's one of those guys, he's a very good quarterback. And I think you hit on those points perfectly. But I think there are still some question marks about him being elite and being a guy who can carry a team to the next level. And I think those are certainly valid. But we talked about it a little bit earlier. Chad mentioned it earlier. We really were high on the Vikings draft. We thought they had an outstanding NFL draft, especially their first two picks. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU, player that we've touched on a little bit here. And Jeff Gladney, the cornerback from TCU. You spoke about him earlier as well. I think those two players really addressed some key needs for this team. But I also really liked some of their later picks such as cornerback Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State and Troy Dye, the linebacker from Oregon. What are your thoughts on this draft class by Minnesota? And who are some of the later round guys that you think can make an impact on this team? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, The Vikings, overall, I think they really nailed this draft. I mean, Rick Spielman, he just recently got an extension, as did Mike Zimmer. I think that was well-deserved for both guys. Spielman has proven to be one of the better GMs in the league, especially when it comes to handling the, the draft. And his his philosophy of and his strategy of always trading back and accumulating more picks has worked out well. And there's studies that show that just getting more cracks at it and getting more picks is a beneficial approach. And, and he's used it, and it's, it's worked out well. The Vikings set a, an NFL record with 15 picks this year, which was kind of crazy. I think they nailed day one. 
Uh, I, I gave them A grades for both of those picks. You get Jefferson at 22. They were kind of surprised that he he fell to them. With the Eagles picking at 21, I think they thought they were going to go Jefferson, but they go Jalen Rager instead. And the Vikings were thrilled to get Jefferson there. And then seeing how the, the, the board was unfolding with cornerbacks, they were able to trade back from 25 to 31, pick up some extra picks, and, and still get their guy Jeff Gladney there. So they, they aced that. Ezra Cleveland in the second round is a guy who, who has a lot of has drawn a lot of comparisons to Brian O'Neill, the Vikings' uh, right tackle, who, who's developing into a really good player. They're hoping that Cleveland can follow that same path. He's a super athletic guy, which is good for their their zone blocking scheme. Gary Kubiak, and, and then beyond that, I, I I really like the Dantzler pick in the third round. Like like you mentioned, I, I think he's a guy who working with Mike Zimmer could be a really really good player a couple years down the line. Uh, I think he's faster than than that forty time that he ran. So I, I think he's going to be a good player. And then on day on day three, they had a ton of picks. Obviously, not all of them are going to work out. But when you take eleven players on day three, the chances are you're going to hit on on one or two of those at least. And they drafted DJ Wanham out of South Carolina, which I wasn't sure about the pick at, at first. But Andre Patterson, their, their D line coach and now co defensive coordinator, has been really saying that that Wanham was his guy. And the last time that he's kind of gone all in on saying, this is my guy, you got Daniel Hunter in the third round, and we saw how that worked out. So I'm going to give Patterson the benefit of the doubt with the Wanham pick. But I really liked, uh, you mentioned Troy Dye. I, he was some a guy that some people talked about uh, a year or two ago as a potential first or second round guy, uh, a really productive linebacker at Oregon. I think he's, he's really well suited for the modern game with his kind of being a little undersized at linebacker. He's a guy who can cover really well. Uh, get out there and cover tight ends and, and slot receivers and running backs and just a really good rangy linebacker. So I think he's going to be good. We got James Lynch out of Baylor in the fourth round too, who had 13 and a half sacks last year. He's, he could factor into their, their three technique defensive tackle competition. And then just a, a bunch of stabs at, at late round guys who, who are interesting. Uh, I mean, they, they took Harrison hand was another, their third corner. They took a, he, he's a guy with, with some upside, Josh Metellus, a safety from Michigan. So just Kenny Wilkes, a defensive end from, from Michigan State. I mean, it goes on and on. They, were, they, were, they gave themselves a lot of chances to kind of find some diamonds in the rough late in the draft, which they've done uh, a number of times in, in recent years. They found Afadio Denimo in the seventh round, Stephen Weatherly in the seventh round, and Stephon Diggs was a fifth rounder. And they've even gotten guys like Adam Thielen and Anthony Harris as undrafted free agents. So just – just because the, the first few rounds of the draft are over, the, the Vikings continue to look for, for people who they think could, could become stars uh, down the line. And they got a bunch of undrafted free agents this year as well. So they have like something like 27 rookies in total. So it'll be really, really, really fascinating to follow that class. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of define this team going forward, the, the, this huge class they brought in. Right, great point, Will, and it kind of makes you think about the Diggs trade. It makes even more sense because they traded. They built up that draft capital because they do believe from building within like that and finding those players. And so, and that's going to kind of lead into this question because when you talk about draft, you talk about the NFC North, you talk about the Packers and what they did. They were a 13-3 and team last year. They won the division. Minnesota was 10-6. and But that 13-3 and from Green Bay, it was a little... I don't know, suspect in my opinion. You got Matt Stafford coming back, hopefully healthy for a full year, drafted Swift. You got Galladay, you got Jones, you got Bears now with the Trubisky not signing to the fifth-year extension. Does Foles take over? But they're still pretty solid on offense, and they've still got that defense led by Khalil Mack. Kind of talk about what you see happening this year with the NFC North. 
and how it's going to play out. I think the Vikings are the favorite, in my opinion. So just talk about what you see happening this year with the Vikings. Do you see them winning this division? Can, can they overtake the Packers? I guess that's really what it boils down to. Yeah, no, that is what it boils down to. I, I agree with, with your assessment there for, for the most part. I think the Packers were not a, a true 13-3 and three team last year. I mean, the, the advanced metrics show that they were they were a very good team, but I don't think they, that that roster deserved to win 13 games, which happens in the NFL. I, I think they're going to regress a little bit. The Lions are, are going to be better for sure. I mean, if, if Stafford stays healthy, which definitely hope he does because he's a fun player to watch, I, I think they, they drafted pretty well, and, and that could be a very, very explosive offense with, with Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. I think they have the best uh, wide receiver core in the division. It, it'll just come down come down to that defense and, and can uh, – and Jeff Okuda make be, be a, a, an impact guy from, from day one. The Bears are always interesting because that defense is still so good. Uh, they bring in Robert Quinn to pair with, with Khalil Mack, and losing Eddie Goldman as an opt-out is tough there. But they've got so much talent in that front seven. Uh, it's just a question of who's going to play quarterback. It, it, based on the recent numbers, I don't think either Trubisky or Foles is going to scare the other teams in that division too much. I, I think the the best outcome for the Bears is that Foles kind of seizes that job and runs with it and, and gets back to, to his 2017 self. But it, it's going to be very interesting because I think you can, you can legitimately make a case for all four teams competing for, for the division title. It, it, it gets a little tougher when you talk about the Bears and Lions. I think the Vikings and Packers deserve to be kind of the consensus top two right now. But but any of those teams could could have a get out of the gate strong and just kind of stay in the race all year. Well, what's, what's going to be important for the Vikings is, is winning those division games, especially against the Bears and Packers. They have not done well against the Bears since Matt Nagy became the coach for that team. Uh, they went 0-4 last year against the Bears and Packers, which was four of their six losses right there. So if they're able to, to win some of those big divisional games and, and some of the, their young players and rookies can kind of get comfortable right away, I, I, I could absolutely see them, them winning the division and having a strong year, winning maybe 11 games, something like that. But I also think it's important to kind of take a step back and be be objective. And I try not to I try to be optimistic, but I don't I think there's also some some reason for concern for potential regression from the Vikings. They uh, they had some really good injury luck last year. Adam Thielen was hurt for a little bit, but that was kind of their only main guy that got hurt. Nobody on their defense was injured at all. They had some good fumble luck, too. So there's some 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 signs that could point to regression, obviously, just losing a lot of veteran playmakers and bringing in rookies and young players to try to replace them could work out, but it also might not. You don't really know. There's some unknown there. So I think the Vikings have kind of a wide range of outcomes this year. I could see them winning as many as 11 or 12 games if everything breaks right and, and things like that. But with the schedule being tough, with the, the shortened preseason, the lack of preseason and the shortened offseason, making things difficult for rookies transitioning. I think realistically, I expect the Vikings to win nine or 10 games. I think there's too much talent to, to go below 500, although that could happen if, if certain things don't go well and certain players don't emerge. But realistically, I think this is a nine or, nine or 10 win team. I think they're, they're competing probably for, for a wild card spot and to, for one of those, those last seven, six or seven spots in the, uh, in the playoff picture. And then the, the ideal scenario is if all goes well and people keep developing, then in 2021, this is a team that kind of takes a leap and, and gets back to hopefully uh, making a run to the NFC Championship. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Will. I think this is a team that I think is going to win the NFC North, but I agree with you. It's certainly an interesting division, to say the least. But for me, when I look at the Vikings, I still think they have the most complete roster. I think they had an outstanding draft like we touched on, and I think they probably have the best coach in this division as well. So I'm going to pick them to win the NFC North, but I do think it's a fascinating race for sure. But I wanted to touch on something that you talked about earlier. And the Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, he really seemed to get more comfortable as the year went on last year. And he played well in an upset victory over the Saints in that NFC wildcard game that we talked about. But after losing offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski, who is now the head coach of the Browns, the Vikings bring in Gary Kubiak to call the offense. What do you expect from this offense now that Kubiak takes over? I know you touched on it briefly, but maybe go a little deeper into what you expect this offense to look like and what kind of changes are we expected to see from this offense? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think that there's going to be major changes here because they were running Kubiak's offense effectively last year. He's going to be the guy calling the plays now, which if anything might mean they throw the ball a little bit more, looking at like some of Kubiak's tendencies when he's been a play caller. Uh, I think you could see them do that. But they're they're still going to be run-heavy. They're going to be one of the, the five or ten most run-heavy teams in the league. We know Kubiak loved to. They had great success with, with Terrell Davis in Denver and um, even Arian Foster in Houston and Justin Forsett with the Ravens. And, and he's always been a guy who kind of runs his offense through a running back in a, in a running game. So I think it's going to look similar. The, the differences are going to be mostly personnel-based when you lose digs, obviously. That's a huge loss. Uh, bringing in Jefferson, uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to, to produce early. Hopefully they'll have Thielen healthy all year because he missed half the season last year. And, and just a big thing I would watch, how the, their two tight end the production shakes out between that duo because Kyle Rudolph's been one of the best tight ends in the NFC North for, for a lot of years. But we saw them bring in Irv Smith out of Alabama last year in the second round. And, and the two kind of had similar lines in terms of targets and yards. Rudolph had more touchdowns, but I think this year you, you can kind of expect Smith to to take the, the the baton from Rudolph and become the number one tight end in the passing game. He's just so much more of a, a fluid athlete right now, considering Rudolph is, is 30 and Smith just turned 22. He's got a lot more movement ability. I think you could, they'll get Smith involved in some tight end screens and get him running routes out of out of the slot or or, or in line. Uh, I, I can see him him having a really a really strong breakout year. And then beyond that, I mean, the number one thing, which we haven't talked about so far, is the offensive line. And that's always going to be the question with the Vikings. been kind of an Achilles heel or a weakness of theirs for many, many years. That They haven't used a ton of draft capital to address, but they've started to change that recently. They, they drafted Garrett Bradbury in the first round. Bradbury had kind of an up-and-down rookie year. Uh, he struggled with, with some of the powerful defensive tackles he faced early in the year with like Grady Jarrett and Kenny Clark and, and players like that but kind of found his groove as the year went along, and they're, they're, they're looking for big things out of him. And then Brian O'Neill, their right tackle, has been really, really strong. There's questions at, at the other three spots. Uh, Riley Reef, the veteran, is going to continue to be their left tackle, and at least for this year. They, I know they drafted Ezra Cleveland to kind of be the long-term replacement for, for Reef there, but it's going to be Reef this year, Kubiak told us recently. And he's a solid left tackle. I mean, he's pretty dependable. I think it's safe to say that he's going to give them more than what Cleveland would have as a rookie just because Cleveland's a pretty raw prospect. 
and has a lot of things to, to clean up from a technique standpoint before he becomes their, their left tackle. So can Reef improve a little bit because he struggled with Packers, Smith brothers and, and some other edge rushers and like Khalil Mack, especially in the division. Uh, and then who's going to be the guards for the Vikings is is a, a really interesting training camp storyline. There's a lot of a lot of people potentially competing for those guard spots. Pat Elfline has not lived up to to what they hoped he would become when they drafted him a few years ago, but he's still in the mix there. A couple other guys uh, in the mix as well. Drew Samia, uh, a guy they took in the fourth round last year and kind of redshirted. So if the offensive line can come together and they they find a five-man unit that can be pretty strong and and give Kirk Cousins time to throw the ball, which he really needs, uh, I think this could be be a good offense. And I mentioned Herb Smith as a potential breakout guy. Uh, he, he's someone to watch. Uh, Justin Jefferson. If, if those young pieces emerge and, and the offensive line is good, this could be a really strong offense, especially with the the, the running back duo, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madsen. But at the same time, there, there's enough unknowns here that we could see some struggles, especially early on in the season. Hold on, Will. I'm finishing up my notes here on fantasy sleeper Irv Smith. So just give me a second here. I'm just kidding. I think he is going to be on the radar for a lot of people this year as a potential breakout. And, and Kyle Rudolph had that amazing year a couple of years back, but it was touchdown dependent. So I get that and understand that. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the Pint Glass Football Podcast and joining us and talking all things Minnesota Vikings. This is going to be the last question. We're going to wrap up with this. Looking at Minnesota, they got to the NFC Championship. It was Case Keenum. You had the Minneapolis Miracle Throw with Diggs. 2018-2019, they've grown. Cousins has come into his own. Last year, went on the road to New Orleans, like we said, won that game. But what do you see happening with the Vikings in the next one, two, maybe three years? I think they've got the potential. I'm with Brad. I think they've got one of the most complete rosters in the NFC North and in the NFC in general. But can you see them getting back to the championship game maybe this year, maybe next year, maybe in the next two to three years? And can you see them ultimately winning a Super Bowl? Yeah, Minnesota fans would would are star for a championship in any sport, but I think the Vikings winning one would mean a, a lot to this city and to this state. And Mike Zimmer has said that he wants to be the coach that, that brings the Vikings their first Super Bowl victory. It's the number one question from from a broader perspective: is can the Vikings get over this hump? You've got a team that is consistently competitive since Mike Zimmer's rookie year when they went, or not rookie year, his first year as a, as a head coach with the Vikings in 2014 when they went 7-9. and nine. Since then, they've been at or above 500 every year. They've made the playoffs in three of his six years. Uh, kind of weirdly, they've alternated making it and missing it every year. They've only only made the playoffs in odd-numbered years under Mike Zimmer, so that's not a, not, a, not a great trend for 2020. But can they go from being a consistently competitive team that's in the 8 to 10 win range or whatever, and find that team that gets them over the hump and can compete for a championship. And they had that. They thought they had that in 2017. Case Keenum and and with best defense in the league and all the talent they had. And it says a lot about the overall talent of that roster that Case Keenum was able to get them to the NFC Championship. But then they kind of just ran out of steam against the Eagles that year. And that prompted the Vikings to address the quarterback position, which had been in, in in limbo, really, since, since Teddy Bridgewater's injury. And they, they tried to have Sam Bradford be the guy, but he his knees were just falling apart. They, they brought in Case Keenum last minute in, in that 2017 season, and he took him on a magical ride. But they, they brought in Kirk Cousins, and they see him being the guy who can hold it down and help them when they have the, all the talent around him to, to elevate them even more than what Keenum was able to do. So overall, I think the roster is there. They, they have a good 
philosophy from a roster building standpoint. They've got defensive talent. They've got offensive talent. It's it's as you mentioned, it's it's one of the the more well-rounded rosters in the league and has been for quite some time. They're going through some change now, but overall, they're keeping things the same from a, a broader hierarchy perspective with, with the trio of GM, coach, quarterback, uh, all all staying together for the third straight year now. They just extended Zimmer and Spielman. They extended Cousins. So they're going to give it they, – they kind of have this window now. They're going to give it a few more chances with this group. And, and I think if everything comes together well, I could see – a Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins-led team getting to a Super Bowl and potentially winning it. But then again, it hasn't happened so far under Zimmer. It hasn't happened with Cousins in his career. If they continue to kind of stay at the same level where they're competitive every year, but they don't look like a team that can really get over the hump, they run into the San Francisco like they did this past year and the Eagles like they did a few years ago, and they just can't really compete with those teams and and play with the best of the best and obviously you've got teams like the Chiefs and, and Ravens and uh, the Bucks now and, and a lot of pretty loaded teams in the NFL so it's going to be hard to get over that hump I, I think they're going to try to do it with this core but if they can't and, and if things especially if they have a year where they they kind of go below 500 maybe not this year I think there might be a little a little bit of patience but if they're not a really good team in 2021 2022 and competing to get over that hump I could see the Vikings potentially kind of blowing it up I don't know if that means moving on from from Zimmer and Spielman or maybe just moving on from Cousins and looking to find a future franchise quarterback in the draft or whatever that might look like but for now They've got a, a, at least a, a two or three more years uh, of a window with with this group of cousins and and this the, the talent they have at safety and and Daniel Hunter and Eric Kendricks and, and Adam Thielen and all of those players led by Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman they're gonna they're gonna try to get over the hump with this group and I think if everything comes together well and they get some some young players emerging I, I think it could happen I don't again I don't think it's gonna happen this year but I think 2021 or 2022 uh, is what they're building towards. Yeah, well, I definitely agree with you on this team. I do think it's a team that has a two to three year window for sure. Like we talked about, one of the best rosters in the NFC and a team that should definitely be contending in that division and could possibly really make some noise this year. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Special thanks to Will Raggetts of Sports Illustrated for joining us today. Really hope you guys enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.